Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale, providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450-plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation, enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place, preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability. Get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com slash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I hope everybody is doing well, kind of middle to last third of August, which means, uh, A, it's it's still very, very hot. B, it means people are going back to school. Kids are getting getting ready to go back to school if they haven't already. I've already seen the line starting to form for carpool outside of sort of elementary school level kids. I guess probably the kids who are on uh, sort of full year cycles. I know the college kids are all starting to go back to school. We are uh, emptying out the front room of our house and packing up uh, for this weekend to take daughter off to college. Aaron's taking a daughter off to college. I know lots of uh, friends and family are, so that's a that's an interesting time. And then, you know, all other things uh, around school start to kick off, whether that is uh, sports or parent activities or whatever that might be, but uh, new schedules, new traffic patterns, all sorts of stuff. So August, end of August is uh, always a very interesting time. People don't want the summer to end, although uh, they would like the heat to end. And then they've got all this sort of new scheduling in their life. So anyways, another Sunday Perspective show. And boy, oh boy, what an interesting couple of weeks in terms of, you know, dollars and cents more than technology dominating the cloud conversation and the software conversation. So we had uh, a number of interesting announcements, a number of announcements around software licenses in kind of the infrastructure space and the AI space in uh, a bunch of different things. We saw some interesting acquisitions. Uh, We saw some... Uh, you know, interesting earnings numbers and so forth. So uh, what I want to try and do over uh, as we get to the break and as we get to the second part of the show is really kind of dig into kind of where the intersection of all these things are, right? Uh, cloud earnings, the sort of cloud giant earnings um, starting to slow down a little bit, uh, but having some interesting sort of things popping out in terms of where their spend is going, what their profitability looks like. Um, obviously, there's been some interesting news in terms of software licensing uh, in terms of, you know, is it open source? Is it not open source? What happens if you change the licensing? And then uh, a couple of acquisitions that are somewhat uh, related to each other. We're going to kind of dig into those, uh, you know, how they relate to each other, how they relate to the bigger picture. So lots of stuff to kind of weave together after the break. Is your cloud bill out of control? Cloud Zero is building a platform that will let you analyze your cloud investment faster than ever before. You'll get accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. Cloud Zero is how cloud-driven companies gain more financial control and predictability by driving immediate and ongoing savings. You can answer questions like, how can I save 20% of my cloud bill right now? Who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. Again, please visit cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. And we're back. And I want to try and 
connect the dots on a few interesting sort of uh, economic things around software in the cloud, which you know kind of got announced this last week, week, week and a half, the last two weeks or so. So a couple of things. Um, where to start? Uh, do we start with software licensing? Do we start with earnings? Do we start with other stuff? Let, let's start with let's start with acquisitions. So in the monitoring observability space, um, even though Gartner came out with their magic quadrant this past week or so around monitoring and observability in which they had Dynatrace first, uh, Datadog second, and then a few others third off to find a link to it, put it in the show notes. You know, Datadog in terms of market share is sort of far and away the leader in this, about twice the size of, of Dynatrace. So um, again, won't get into the details of, of why Gartner went one way or the other, but was interesting. Um, so you've got you've got Dynatrace who is leading the market, I think around $30 billion in market cap. I might be wrong. Uh, I think it's around that range, 20 to $30 billion market cap. And then you had uh, New Relic getting acquired by a couple of private equity companies for about $6.5 billion, same private equity companies that had acquired Sumo Logic. Um, so you've got, uh, you know, on one hand, you've got New Relic monitoring company, Sumo Logic, a um, logging company. Um, and there's been some rumors maybe they're going to get put together. Um, but New Relic was, you know, oftentimes looked at as maybe in the top three or so, uh, like in the Magic Quadrant. And I thought it was sort of interesting because you've got the leader and then you've got, uh, you know, this one that's maybe second or third, maybe let's call them third, um, that couldn't necessarily make it as a private company or as a public company. So they ended up going private. So still viable business, but had to go private. You know, it makes you wonder, okay, uh, are we beginning to see in some of these domains, um, you know, kind of a a culling of the herd, if you will, right? Uh, you know, we're going to see some consolidation around things that, yes, people need and want and obviously are paying money for, but, um, you know, the market never tends to have more than three in any given sec- segment, at least three very viable ones. So maybe it's going to be Datadog and Dynatrace and this combined Sumo slash New Relic, although we did hear some news that uh, those two folks are are both telling the market like that they're not going to merge together and put their functionality together. But anyways, so interesting sort of from that perspective, right? In, in a domain that has been very hot, we've seen a lot of investment. Uh, we're starting to see some consolidation and some things coming off the public market in terms of, you know, can it grow fast enough? Um, is it growing fast enough? Can it be profitable enough? Um, so that's sort of one data point we have kind of floating out there in a segment that we know is uh, growing. Uh, people are very interested in it and, and had been reasonably profitable, right? Um, we'd already seen, uh, so that's a very data heavy segment. We'd already seen um, Snowflake beginning to see customers cutting back from uh, sort of five years retention to three year retention. Um, we saw AWS announce their numbers. One of the really interesting things about their numbers this last quarter, a um, couple of things um, back to growing again, sort of beat their numbers. Um, hopefully somebody got some bonuses out of that because I know things have been a little tougher at Amazon and AWS lately. So somewhat slowing growth overall, which we've said for a long time is going to happen. You can't grow at 80, 90% forever. But it was interesting that they they sort of said that they feel like companies are, you know, their their largest customers have have kind of come out of or beginning to finish their sort of optimization, which has been going on for the last, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 months or so, uh, kind of as the pandemic has wound down, interest rates have gone up, um, companies were uncertain about their business. Now, it'll be interesting to see whether or not we hear those same sort of things from the other cloud vendors. I know they announced their earnings, but they didn't necessarily call that out explicitly. So I don't know if that's just better insight from uh, AWS, if that's 
kind of just positioning from AWS uh, because they love to say that every day is the first inning. Maybe they're kind of uh, signaling, hey, we're into the second inning or something. So that was sort of interesting. It, you know, it, it gives us some sense of, you know, how fast are people moving stuff into the cloud or not moving stuff into the cloud. Third thing that was sort of interesting was, you know, you've got the cloud providers who are very interested in telling you forever, if at all possible, that we're always in the first inning. Maybe we're between the first and second inning, but we never want to be more than about the second inning because we want to provide a perspective that the market ahead of us is so incredibly big, right? They've, you know, they've, they've, they're just scratching the surface and so forth. But what was really interesting is, so they're essentially forecasting a, a forever long view. Um, it was interesting to see some of the AI companies start to say, hey, um, you know, they could get to things like AGI within a couple of years now, right? So you've got, you've got people who want to project to the market a very, very long game because they don't want to portray the idea that they've scratched the surface too much. There's tons of revenue. And then you've got other folks who are probably sitting there somewhere between, you know, maybe a huge market, maybe a bubble to a certain extent, trying to set expectations that are impossibly close, potentially, um, and obviously trying to attract a whole bunch of money, right? So that always makes it sort of weird. It's like, are we are we in a slowdown period? And then you've got this other mark, part of the segment of the market, which is giving you, you know, like ridiculously different timeframes and so forth and, and going on. And then the third thing that was sort of a big deal, at least in terms of trends and news and, and economics was, you know, we saw a couple of interesting shifts in terms of licensing, um, you know, not not changes in terms of, of sort of business, you know, kind of, uh, you know, some of the community inter- uh, things that we happen, but licensing changes. So um, we saw a couple of the AI companies, in particular Hugging Face, who is kind of positioning themselves as the open source alternative to open AI, coming out with a um, somewhat business restrictive license. And I'll have to go and look at the name of it. It's one that I hadn't necessarily seen before. It was like, H-P-O-I, like H-Foil or H-P-Foil or H-T-O-I-L, something along those lines. I'll find it. There's a link in the show notes for it. But in essence, it's the same sort of licensing that we saw come out of uh, Meta when they announced their Lambda 2 licensing, which is basically um, we have a ton of data. We're building these models. We know people want to kind of experiment with them. Uh, We would like to be part of the models that you experiment with, but we don't want you to build a business on top of these things that we've spent years and years collecting. Now, whether or not they should be allowed to collect all the data because it wasn't necessarily theirs, but was it freely available and all that kind of stuff, that's a whole different discussion. Um, but it was interesting to see more and more of these sort of AI companies essentially trying to get ahead of you know the idea of we're building something that's open source and we're going to have to change it down the road. They're just sort of saying like, look, we're making things available to people uh, but we don't want them to get too big such that we're competing with them. Like we feel like we have a certain advantage, a certain moat, um, and we want to maintain that moat and we're going to restrict the license within certain guidelines uh, such that you can play around with it, you can be part of our community, but you're only going to get so big. And we're probably going to see more and more of these things, um, especially as you think about the cost of building an AI company is and uh, the amount of cycle times you need with GPUs and all that sort of stuff. Like your ability to to burn through money will be extremely fast and your ability to try and build a moat when everything is going really fast will be challenging. And so, you know, you want to try and build some level of protection in that if you do figure out how to build a, a viable business and build a moat and build viable technology, 
that hopefully you can commercialize it. Um, you know, cause, uh, you know, VC money is harder and harder to get interest rates are up. Um, so that's not an unusual thing, right? It's, I guess what's interesting is we're seeing it kind of upfront from these companies that are in the AI space and the model space and so forth. And then the other one that kind of popped up that I want to dig into a little bit more, cause I think there's some, maybe some interesting, uh, ramifications around the communities that we talk about a lot on the Cloudcast is HashiCorp, who is a company that we have been covering forever. Uh, we've been covering them since Mitchell was first just simply doing uh, the very first tool they had, Vagrant. And I think it was literally just him and Armand. Maybe it was him and Armand and, and Kevin, I think, had joined the company at that point. And they were just making tools to help you uh, spin up uh, VMs on, on various machines and spin up VMware and stuff like that. Obviously, they've, they've gone on to do a lot of things. We've covered them for a long time over the years. We've got to know them. Um, they built a viable business, mostly around open source, and some of which they commercialized, things like Terraform and Vault and other things. They went public, uh, which was which was really interesting because we haven't seen that many uh, companies that were truly open source uh, make it to have a big enough viable, uh, not only community, but viable commercial market to where they uh, could go, uh, go public and the public markets accepted them. Did well at the beginning, um, you know, as a lot of companies have done, lost a lot of value since then. Uh, so they're down about, I think, two thirds since their their IPO. Uh, I may not have it exactly right, but I think I think that's about right. You know, and so they're they're going through the challenges of being a company that is fundamentally open source. Um, hence, you may or may not be capturing all of the value of the software that you create. The community is capturing a lot of value at no 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 dollars in your pocket. And they essentially came out this last week and said. You know, and they were very they were very candid about. It. They said, "Look, um, it is increasingly hard to continue to make money uh, as a purely open source company." Uh, they stated that there was a number of um, companies that were building on top of their technology um, with, you know, not contributing back kind of thing. And people can can debate, you know, kind of how the language was. But in essence, they were saying, "Look, look, we create a lot of stuff, um, and we just weren't capturing enough of that value. And so we are going to change from the current license they have, which I believe is uh, MPL or MPL2, Mozilla Public License, to uh, BSL license, uh, Business Source License, which essentially says we will continue to make it uh, available. The source will be available, but it is not something that you can then build upon and commercialize. And you know, people have different opinions about whether or not that is a truly open source license or if it adds unnecessary or unusual restrictions. Um, anyways, you can dig into that. There's there's details there. We'll put some links in the show notes. What's interesting about this is not, I mean, it's interesting that we're beginning to see more and more companies, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, we've seen more and more companies who are saying like, look, we are more or less the dominant company in our open source project. Um uh, we haven't necessarily donated it to a foundation. So, you know, this could be Mongo or this could be Cloudera or this could be, um, you know, Confluent or it could be, you know, any of the companies that, that you think of that are sort of kind of the dominant software company for their project. Docker was this way at one point in time before it sort of got forked off as OCI and stuff. And in essence, they're saying like, look, it's hard when you don't capture a large percentage of the value commercially that your community uses. And it's a it's a catch-22 situation because on one hand, um, even if you are building the majority of the software, even if you could argue like, look, as HashiCorp does, like we're making, we're contributing 95% of the software. 
you know, in order for the market to know about your product, in order for the market to use your product, you know, we've created this habit within, um, you know, developer usage and uh, end user usage and all sorts of things to say, hey, um, as a trade-off for having less of a sales force, for having less dollars spent on marketing, um, we are going to essentially make our go-to-market, our the bulk of our go-to-market, essentially free, um, you know, through through community available bits and so forth. And in doing that, you significantly reduce your cost, you build word of mouth, you build communities. Um, and the goal obviously is, is to build enough additional technology upon, you know, above and beyond the free stuff or, or make the product complex enough um, that even though it is free, people come back to you and say, I need help. I either need help in supporting it, in designing it, or I need stuff that you don't give to the community, i.e. the kind of open open core model. And and it's hard. It's a very difficult business, obviously, as they you know chose to become public, that became more and more of a burden upon them as, you know, sort of the profitability of, you know, the dollars you put into engineering resources, the dollars you put into uh, go-to-market activity, sales and marketing and events and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, probably became became very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, you can look at the public numbers and you can kind of make assessments for yourself. I think what's very interesting about this is HashiCorp had, you know, very, very large communities. And and some of the projects obviously monetized it at different rates than others. Um, things like Vault uh, monetized at a much higher level than some of the other things like Terraform and others, obviously, just because uh, it's a it's a security product. People, you know, are going billing to pay for uh, trusted security things that they know they can d- directly associate with reducing risk, right? Um, I don't know exactly how well the other ones monetize. The, you know, people can, people can speculate or know what that is. But I think what's really interesting is, so, you know, we're seeing more and more companies that begin life as a software company that are now focusing a ton of their attention around the cloud offerings. We've seen HashiCorp do it. We've seen Red Hat do it. We've seen uh, VMware do it to a certain extent. We've seen Mongo. We've seen Cloudera and others. Um, and, you know, even, uh, you know, we, we, had, uh, we had the folks from Confluent on the other day who said, like, look, you know, we're still building Kafka, but, um, you know, the Kafka that we want to deliver to people isn't the value isn't in the Kafka bits. It's in, you know, the way that we design it and the way that we operate it. And so it's, it's beginning to create really kind of an interesting kind of thing of, you know, are the bits worth anything? Um, what is the value of, uh, you know, integration work that gets done by various people? Um, very hard to put a, a value on that when people sort of go, well, I could build this myself. And yes, you could, but is that a business you want to be in? Um, and, but what it, it really kind of makes me wonder is, you know, are we, is HashiCorp kind of the canary in the coal mine for what could become kind of a tough situation? So think about it. We've, we've had three or four years of huge, huge VC investment around the space that is the cloud native space, right? The, the CNCF sort of space, if you will, but, but lots of other things as well. But um, kind of all the different things that are around cloud native infrastructure and application tools and developer tooling and so forth. Tons and tons of investment in that space um, around companies that in many cases are sort of in the same vein as a HashiCorp or a Red Hat or a Confluent or a Mongo or whatever. Right? They're, they're sort of active in their project. Um, some are more active and more sort of dominant in their project, you know, like, a, you know, isovalent with psyllium, for example, or, um, 
you know, like somebody like Google or Solo or something in the in the Istio space or uh, Buoyant with uh, Linkerd or, you know, companies along those lines, you know, Docker with Docker. And I do wonder if, again, Hashi isn't sort of a canary in the coal mine of, you know, they had built a massive, massive ecosystem. There were a ton of users of the system. They may not necessarily know who all of them are, who could have potentially become commercially viable customers, right? But for whatever reason, whether it was they made too much available for free, you know, the product was too feature rich for free, it was too easy to use for free, um, or they just, uh, you know, didn't figure out the, the right way to monetize it, you know, do go to market in a super efficient way. But they had a built a, a humongous base. I mean, had built a, a huge, huge base. Um, and I look at a lot of these other companies that are out there and you got to wonder, you know, if you don't already have a viable cloud strategy and cloud strategies are expensive, right? Operating uh, software and delivering in a SaaS is, is expensive because, you know, it's not like selling bits where it's, you know, basically free once it goes out the door. Um, are we going to see just sort of a massive, um, you know, to a certain extent, we've said this a bunch of times, like we're, we're going to see some companies sort of go away. But are we going to start to see a lot of the VCs kind of realize what what they might be facing here uh, in terms of like how many of their companies are going to end up, you know, only being able to survive if they look like HashiCorp? You know, how many of them first, I guess, first and foremost, how many of them have built a community big enough to sort of, you know, look at themselves and say, hey, we're going down the path of looking like HashiCorp or a similar type of company? How many of them have subsequently built a commercial go-to-market that is on any sort of velocity to even be considered for IPO, right? Um, or are we going to see a lot of the VCs go, hmm, you know, we're starting to see uh, the, the, the third place companies in some of these areas that are that are crowded, not being able to survive as a public company. Um, you know, the business model without a, you know, restrictive license um, or without a gigantic community is struggling, um, you know, for the companies, even with companies with with decent sized community followings or, you know, installed bases. Are we going to see them say, look, I'm willing to take pennies on the dollar and start to, you know, sort of force these founders to shop these companies around to whoever, whether they're the cloud companies, whether they are, you know, the Oracles and Red Hats and Cisco's and VMware's and, you know, sort of bigger, bigger potential acquirers, you know, uh, Cisco or NetApp or any of these companies. Um, I wonder if, if we're going to start to see a really big round or, or phase of that, because, you know, again, some of these things might very well be kind of canaries in the coal mine, but, you know, it, it does start to make you wonder, you know, have the economics around software, whether it's the shift from software to cloud or whether it's the shift from, you know, just did you build the community fast enough or did you figure out how to monetize the community fast enough? Um, you know, those headwinds have been, you know, kind of non-existent for a while. We now have headwinds, you know, with the, the economy and with people maybe buying a little bit less or or reducing what they do. Um, that's that's going to be the, probably the biggest thing I'm going to be watching for the next six months uh, is do we see that happening? You know, AI is going to get a lot of the headlines because um, it's obviously a lot of interesting things going on. But um, will we will we start to see these portfolios of, of VC funded things go? If I can get ten cents on the dollar, twenty cents on the dollar for the things I did, I know my valuations are already way too high. Uh, they were, you know, they, they were 
you know, kind of the hubris of, of the time, right? We've seen that before, but will we start to see that and, and do some of these licensing changes? Are they sort of, uh, you know, flares that, you know, the, the expectation of business models, um, that was previously there that you could figure that out, um, is maybe not as, as easy as people thought. Um, and so I think that's gonna be really interesting to watch. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's going to be very interesting to watch if Hashi was a one-off. Um, you know, maybe it was, maybe it just had to do with the fact that, uh, you know, they went through some leadership changes over the last three or four years since the IPO. Maybe it's just harder to run the business after the IPO. We all know it is harder to run a public company than it is a private company. Um, but I, I think there's probably something a little bigger there um, that's not specific to Hashi. That's just specific to, it is really hard to, to run an open source business. And now you don't just have the challenge of, you know, open source companies versus open source companies or open source versus proprietary. You also have, you know, open versus cloud and, you know, um, you know trying to do things at scale. So it's going to be really interesting to see if the smaller companies can pop out um, or if we start to see, uh, you know, either a, a going away of, of some of them. Obviously, that's going to happen naturally. But, um, you know, the ones that are viable that have viable offerings interesting offerings um you know do they see out outputs and and uh you know outcomes and and sort of endings and landings that uh maybe weren't necessarily on their radar uh, a year ago but become their only choice um you know over the next six to 12 months so very interesting stuff to watch definitely something to keep an eye on um something we'll be keeping an eye on for sure so anyways gonna wrap it up i uh, hope everybody's doing well hope uh whatever back to school stuff you got going on with the kids is uh, is going well enjoy the last few days of summer or at least uh the summer you know pre uh you know preschool happens hope things are cooling down a little bit where you live but boy i know it's hot at least a lot of the places here in the states and so forth so anyways Thanks again for listening. As always, thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the show. Thanks for helping us grow the community. Thanks for being part of the community. So with that, we'll wrap it up. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 